Podcast. Podcast. I am. I am Nick Westrate. I am too. Jason Black. <laughs> um, this is the Diva Podcast that you come to to hear queer people talk about why they're obsessed with divas and women in entertainment. Yes. And right now we're just kind of, we're bringing some of our oldies up to the forefront uh, for your entertainment while we're on hiatus. So we're... We're in the kitchen and we're and we're cooking. Don't think we're not cooking. We're not just mm-hmm, but we're, sitting on our pandemic couches over here. No, we're definitely cooking up a whole new season for you that's coming in March. And if you miss us so terribly and you're sad from all these reruns, you can always find us on Patreon, where for just $7 a month, we have brand new episodes every single Thursday covering divas like Glenda Jackson, Sybil Shepard, and Romadani on Touched by an Angel. But until then... We are just sending you little voicemails before we run some reruns. Who are we doing? What's this episode? This episode is one of my favorite, favorite interviews we've ever done. It's an interview with the great actor, Michael Cyril Creighton, about his great actor, Madeline Kahn. Uh, yeah, this was this was in our first batch uh, that we've mentioned multiple times, and... I think this was one, maybe one of the first ones we did that that day, mm-hmm. and just came with such love and open heartedness, and kind of uh, let uh, like I think it was one of the first times where like we could kind of see the interviewee just kind of guiding us to like the natural yeah, yeah. to the natural conclusion. So it's like it was mm-hmm. the first time where it was like a flow, and we didn't have to be so held tight with because we were really holding tight with our information, and we were trying to watch out everything and our knowledge and be like, okay. And this was something where I just felt let go of letting go of that because yeah, it was everything in a bag of, you know, Madeline Kahn chips. He is such a savant. He knows so much about her. It's such a great bop and it's actually a really short episode and it's so beautiful and touching. And, um, I, we really hope you enjoy it. And we hope that you, if you remember it, Give it another listen and uh, think about Madeline Kahn some more. And then this weekend, treat yourself to a paper moon or a blazing saddle or um, young Frankenstein. a Judy Berlin. A young Frankenstein. Oh, so good. Paper okay. moon. Oh, well, just mentioned paper moon. Like, I got to go and watch it now. She's oh, too she's iconic. Just one of the greatest actors of all time. Michael, we love you. We want to have you back. I can't wait to talk to you again. You're fabulous. I know. I want him to come back for Mary Testa. Oh, gosh. Well, Broadway Divas. That's what I want to do more. That was my intention. Broadway Divas, you should know. I know. Broadway Divas. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll be back soon. And here's, we'll be back in March. Here's Madeline Kahn. Bye. This is For the Girls. It's a podcast. Um, it's about you and your diva. Um, that's Jason Black over there. And oh, this is Nick Westray. This is just some gays gabbing about girls. It's about queers and female worship. <laughs> yeah. And who do we have on today? Michael Cyril Creighton. <laughs> Hi, Michael. Hi, guys. Hey. You know Michael Cyril Creighton from stage and screen. Um You've seen him on High Maintenance. You've seen him in the movies Spotlight and The Post and Game Night and a million thousand other things. Um, hi. Hi. Welcome to For the Girls. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. Who are we talking about? Who's your diva? Madeline Kahn. What? Madeline Kahn. Oh, this is hilarious. Funny, funny girls. 
Yeah. It's going to be our funny girls um, how'd first. You, how'd you find her? Uh, I remember I was probably like eight or nine, and my aunts rented Clue. Or I asked them to rent Clue because I liked the cover of it, and I liked the picture of Madeline and the picture of Eileen Brennan. So they rented it for me. I watched it by myself in my basement. I was really scared at first because the first scene has that, like, scary dog, and they throw meat at the dog, and it's raining, and it's ominous. And then the moment she arrives on screen, I think – I'm not a historian. I'm just a fan. <laughs> but I think she's the first one to arrive. Either her or Colonel Mustard arrive first. But when she walks through that door and she opens her jacket – I knew I was safe. I knew this was the kind of movie that I'd be into. And I just memorized every moment of it. I love that first scene when uh, when she comes in all black and then like, we're not going by the real names. You're Miss White. Yes, She's exactly. Like, but why? <laughs> <laughs> I love her so much. Um, I think my aunts probably immediately regretted renting that movie for me because then all I would do was quote lines from it over and over again and memorize the whole script and I had to rent it every week and we would uh you know it was like when VHSs were rented. I love that. So what was your video store it. like? It was called Chicken Video. It was a fried chicken place <laughs> and a video store. <laughs> That's and amazing. they had some really good stuff. Um AKA Heaven. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now it's a tattoo shop, I think. Um but yeah, chicken video. Wow. And then what was your what how and then how did you continue your Madeline exploration? Okay, so my uh, grandfather and I watched What's Up, Doc, which is like sort of a zany comedy, Barbara Streisand, Ryan O'Neill, um, Peter Bogdanovich was the director, and it was her first movie. It actually says Introducing Madeline Kahn, and she plays Eunice Burns, and it's this wonderfully unlikable character that she makes so likable and makes such an impression in such a small amount of screen time. Um so that was probably my second introduction. I watched that movie, and then I watched all of her um, Mel Brooks movies. So were you just like, at, like what, you were like 10 around this time? Probably like 9 or 10. 9 or 10? Yeah. Because um, we always talk about this, like how interesting, it's like, it's like, you know, we always talk about how like young boys don't normally have these kinds of fascinations. Right. You know, and like, and then like begging, and we, talk, we, we talked about this with Bette, mm-hmm. like being like, okay, now I have to watch Everything she's done, and you go to that, the video store, right? And you specifically rent each movie, yeah, just for this person. And some of them weren't great, but she was great in all of them. The funny thing is, I love her in all of the Mel Brooks movies, and I do love Young Frankenstein, and I do love her performance in Blazing Saddles. Although Blazing Saddles is not my favorite movie, um, History of the World uh, Part One was not my favorite movie. I loved her performance in it. I mean, her, my favorite movie of hers is Clue. I can't. I can't not love it the most, even though it was the least probably successful at the time. Can we just listen to a bit of Clue? Yeah. 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 Let's listen to a bit of, I mean, this is so, I, this is what so many people know her for. And so many people try to replicate. All the time. Impossible. Do people try to do this to you all the time? Oh, yes. Annoying. You were jealous that your husband was stopping her. That, that's why you killed him, too. Yes. Yes, I did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much. It it the it flamed flames flames on the side of my face, breathing breath heaving breaths heaving. But while we were in the billiard room, Miss Scarlet seized the opportunity and, under cover of darkness, got to the library where she hit the cop whom she'd been bribing on the head with a lead pipe. True or false? True. Who are you, Perry Mason? 
So that's, great. So good. And that's <laughs> Leslie Ann Warren at the Clues end, who I also like a, love. And that part was supposed to be played by Carrie Fisher. Really? Yes. yes. And she was in rehab, I think, she, and she was like, I can get, come out and do it. Like, I can get a break and, and do the movie. And um, Leslie Ann Warren was a really late addition. I love Leslie Ann Warren. She's, but Madeline is so, she's so subtle. We were watching this this morning, and you're like, in our memory, because so many people imitate that clue thing, right. it's much more over the top. Oh, yeah. But she's so delicate. She's such a delicate comedian. Oh, yeah. Everything in that whole movie is every eye flutter, every, like, look down, every single moment is so precise, but so natural and and uh, evocative. It's very, very nuanced all the time, always, and it doesn't seem um, labored. I Never. just think it's gorgeous. Never. There's so many other... De- I mean, I love Leslie Ann Warren, but I also... You mentioned Eileen <clears throat> Brennan. Oh, and God. Can I, I just say, her. Eileen Brennan stands... I know you're out there. Oh, yeah. Just right <laughs> in. I could do another podcast about her. <laughs> we need to do an Eileen Brennan episode. Oh, well, that's what I thought of when I saw A Star is Born, because have you ever seen The Cheap Detective? And she plays this woman, Betty LaBoop, Le- and she's a, a lounge singer, and she does La Vie en Rose, but she only does the la la la, so the whole thing is like, la 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 like for like a minute and a half. And she's like, just the boys, and it reminds me so much of that scene in Star is Born. I feel like Clue was really one of the like original uh, video rentals that people just kept. Really, they found that movie there, because it was kind of a bomb when it came out. Yeah. But at home, you know... At home, people were like, no, this is just, this is a bop. I and at keep... home, you could watch the three endings at once. Right. I guess when it was in the movie theater, which I didn't remember, I wasn't, it wasn't on my radar when I was a child, is that um, you had to go to different, you'd go to a movie theater, you wouldn't know what ending you were getting. I just rewatched oh, it. It's funny. That's the, cool. The endings are all women. The woman's the killer until the... Until it's finally Tim Curry. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Oh, yeah. It's, it's Miss Peacock, Miss Scarlet, Miss White. Yeah. Spoiler alert, but if you're listening to this, obviously you've watched Clue, and if you haven't, I'm so sorry. This isn't a history podcast. This is not a film criticism podcast. (laughs) This is just a gay podcast. Okay, so then you moved on to the Mel Brooks movies, and then um, tell, did you start researching her life and like reading biographies? I like, didn't research her life or biographies until much later. I basically just devoured anything I could find of hers. Like she did a voice in the Bugs Life. I would see a Bugs Life. Like she, anything she did, even if it was like slapstick, which was this movie where her and Jerry Lewis played um, twins who had these giant heads and were very dumb. And when they put their heads together, they were geniuses. It was based on a Kurt Vonnegut short story. It is one of the worst movies you've ever seen. They both play themselves as these (laughs) alien babies and then their parents. And it's really, really bad and really, really great. And she's wonderful in it. She was wonderful in everything she did. So I just would watch everything she did. Eventually I caught up and, you know, I was watching, you know, her on... Um, the Cosby show, long pause before I say that, but like, you know, like later in life when she was doing, that was her last job, I think, um, was the reboot of the Cosby show. Um, and Mixed Nuts, I would see in the theater. And I like, love Mixed Nuts. Um, I, I would, Did, I would listen to all of, so she in the nineties was doing, there were, I would find all the cast albums that she was in for, on the 20th century, which she famously, famously like left the show and Judy Kay took over. But she is on the cast album and it is brilliant. Um, so I'd listen to that obsessively. And then I'd get the Sondheim at Carnegie Hall celebration and listen to her not getting married, which is absolutely the most 
perfect version of that song. Listen, Let's everybody, listen look, that. I don't know what you're waiting for. A wedding? What's a wedding? It's a prehistoric ritual where everybody promises fidelity forever, which is maybe the most horrifying word I've ever heard, and which is followed by a honeymoon where suddenly he'll realize he's saddled with a nut and want to kill me, which he should. Thanks a bunch, but I'm not getting married. So go have lunch, because I'm not getting married. You've been grand, but I'm not getting married. And don't just stand there, I'm not getting married. And don't tell Paul that I'm not getting married today. Go, can't you go? Why is nobody listening? Goodbye, go and cry at another person's wake. If you're quick for a kick, you could pick up a christening. But please, on my knees, there's a human life at stake. Listen, everybody, I'm afraid you didn't hear it. Do you want to see a crazy lady fall apart in front of you? It isn't only Paul who may be ruining his life. You know, all the he's losing our identities. I telephoned my analyst about it, and he said to see you Monday, but by Monday I'll be floating in the husband with the other garbage. I'm not well, so I'm not getting married. You've been swell, but I'm not getting married. Thank you all, but I'm not getting married. Clear the hole, because I'm not getting married. And don't tell Paul, but I'm not getting married today. So perfect, right? I, I mean, it's so shivers. different. I do get shivers from Ooh. that, and I had never heard that song before so it's like my first introduction to that musical yeah she brought you there she brought me there and then I've heard everybody else's version of it which is so incredibly different also amazing Bianca Cox's is amazing but like it's so Carol Burnett's is great Carol Burnett's is great but they're so different than hers and that is what I think her gift is is that every role she did was through the lens of her you know uh, mm-hmm. she took her and I I've t- I saw her talk about this on Charlie Rose um she, let's just talk about all the sex offenders. I, know, really I was like, Whoa. Charlie Rose, Cosby. Um, <laughs> um, but she, <laughs> yikes. No, but she was talking about how she, you never know how your vocal quality or the package you're given, um, what kind of messages they transmit. And some people's package that you can't help uh, transmits certain messages better than others. Um and for her, it's comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I always think about that when I see her because it's like she's using her God-given voice, her God-given look, her her um, to her advantage in a way that's really inspiring, which I, is something I inspire, uh, aspire to. I read, and I think in, it was when she was in acting school, yeah, in college, and mm-hmm. her her uh, teacher was like you. You're going to hurt yourself by using that little voice, mm-hmm. that specific little voice that she that you have, which is so amazing because then she did the act complete opposite, right? And used and blew that up, yeah, and, and like made that our career, yeah. Like she took and like what you said, like she became so specific with with her gifts, yeah, but so specific yet in the, her specificity, just so much var- variance. You know what I mean? She could do anything, but was always specific. You're always like, no matter what the role was, she did it, and you're like, that was only to be done by Madeline Kahn. Absolutely, and, and it was she, perfect. And she uses that that voice or the timbre of her voice. She's like, I think she's a master of artifice. Yeah, like all of her, a lot of her characters have this artifice, and and she, the comedy is what's brewing underneath them. Oh yeah, but she can use it to play the vamp or the sex pot or the really neurotic woman. Yeah, or the really prissy lady. Like yeah. she does all these different archetypes with her specificity and makes them completely universal. Yeah, absolutely inspiring. And unique, like her line readings are. I think, like what I, I don't know. For me, what she's famous for is her. Like I'm like, oh, I don't feel like I've ever seen someone do a take like that. Right, and I don't know who it is. Somebody said something about her that it was like 
she's not someone who says funny things. She says things funny. Yes. But she never, <clears throat> she never thought, she never played the joke. Um, and she always, um, I've heard her talk about how the way she finds comedy, and it's only important to her, is finding the tragedy underneath it. And uh, she's like, that's not for everybody, but that's for me. That's how I find what's funny is by finding the realness and the tragedy underneath. And that forever um, burned in my head. That is how I would love to approach all comedy. Um, but she never thought she was funny. Pe- she, people would be laughing at her on set, and she would be like, why are they laughing? She took herself incredibly mm-hmm. seriously. Apparently, she got the role in um, uh, What's Up, Doc, by – just interviewing with Peter Bogdanovich. She didn't audition. She just interviewed with him, and he was laughing the whole meeting, and she was like, why are you laughing? Because <laughs> um, I guess she didn't think of herself as just... She didn't realize how funny she was, and she was never playing it for the laugh, which is really admirable, I think. Can we... Um, I just want to listen to a little bit of her Eunice Burns from yes, What's please. Up, Doc. So this... So set, set up this scene for us. Uh, this is... Howard Bannister, who is her fiance, is is at a dinner uh, party with Barbara Streisand, who's Judy. And Judy is wearing, she got in by wearing Eunice Burns' badge. And now Eunice gets to the front table. She's trying to check in. They won't let her in. And she's freaking out. And you're a lucky dog. No, but this you? is. Th- admit it. You, you admit you're a lucky dog. I'm a lucky dog. This lady claims to be a Eunice I Burns. I am not a Eunice Burns. I am the Eunice Burns. I don't have a badge for a Eunice Burns. Of course not. Miss Burns is wearing her badge. She's already gone inside. <laughs> that is impossible. Perhaps you're at the wrong convention. This is outrageous. <laughs> Who is that dangerously unbalanced woman? Howard! Howard! Tell them who I am! Tell them who I am! I insist you tell them who I am right this minute! I never saw her before in my life. So that that performance, um, I've read a lot about that one because that one is my favorite. One of my, I don't know, I can't say it's my favorite, but they're all my favorite. Um, but what I love about that one is she's, she never, do, seemingly doesn't have any vanity in that performance. Like, she looks crazy. The wig is insane. Her outfits are crazy. They shoot her a lot from below. Below. And I guess um, in the moment when she was filming it, she absolutely committed to having no vanity, just did it. She went for it. And um, it wasn't until she saw it that she realized um, what she looked like. She said, I guess she said in her head, she was presenting as one thing. And then she saw it on screen and it was another. And she said she called and started therapy the day after <laughs> um, because she was not, she, you know, she's not vain in her performances, but I guess probably in real life, something I can relate to. Um, but she, this is interesting. Can I just read a part of this book here? Just because yeah, I think it's like key to when I sort of understood like how you can be two things at once. You can be completely um, free of vanity in your performance, but also incredibly insecure and vain in real life, mm-hmm. um, which is something that I think a lot of us struggle with. I do for sure. Um, so she said about what's up, Doc. Um, there, they, that she. This is part of the book. Um, 
that she didn't audition for the role won it and won it instead as herself proved an exceptionally ill omen. Eunice was my great good fortune and sort of a blow to my spirit, Madeline said in 1989. I knew that Eunice was as far removed from my essence as she could be, as opposed to what Streisand got to do, which was to play herself. Um, so I always thought that was interesting. And she had a really hard time with the fact that Eunice was an ugly character, mm. like physically ugly. Um and also, she just didn't think that's who she was. But she was so good at that. And I think what was what is so great is that she broke away from that. As she, uh, like, Eunice doesn't have many redeeming qualities. She just makes her incredibly likable, even though the character is unlikable. And then we get to Paper Moon, and there's more humanity in there. It's maybe she gets to be seen the way she actually sees herself as a mm. as a full human and i think that's really interesting because people can see you one way as an actor i think it's interesting because people for a long time i could still be playing nasty shopkeeps because that's what people thought of me as and i'm good at that and that is something that i excel at but um it's not where i want to be it's not my comfort zone so i always think of that i always think of eunice burns and Mm. think of that starting point for her but how she sort of challenged that and the rest of her work so i always find that inspire inspiring and inspiring inspiring (laughs) and you talk and i think we a lot of like what i think we're finding with a lot of these women is the thing that they projected uh, the confidence that they projected on stage Mm -hmm. and having that duality of that other life inside the you know and I think I think for a lot of us that's really inspiring. That you can mm-hmm. be so good at something, but also like you know, there's this honest part of you that's like is also full of self doubt, mm-hmm. and yeah. I think that's so relatable. Yeah, yeah, exactly, a hundred percent. Then I, I just could go on forever, but then please do. That's what we made this podcast for. <clears throat> so then she, because of that, Lucille Ball wanted her to play Agnes Gooch in the movie of Mame. Which was one of our early childhood obsessions, <laughs> that film version, even though it's kind of terrible. Yeah, and you I kind didn't of think, like, then, though. Um, when you think about it, you're like, well, she would be an amazing uh, Vera, right? Like, perfect. Oh, yeah. The perfect Vera Charles. Um, but I guess the story is that she showed up to the table read, and Lucille Ball is expecting, like, this frumpy, dumpy Eunice Burns type. And Madeline Kahn walks in, this, like, redheaded bombshell. And there was only room for one. So she fired her, which is good because then she ended up um, doing uh, Blazing Blazing Saddles, Saddles, which she had heard the movie was happening. She heard there was someone who was singing in a a brow house. And that's what she did in college to make money was she was a singing waitress at a beer hall. Yeah. It's so funny, that redhead envy, because Lucy also claims that she never fired Madeline and that Madeline just left for Blazing Saddles, which sounds like bullshit to me. I don't believe that. Uh, Lucille Ball stands right in. Oh, yeah, yeah right in. Oh, Tell yeah. us what's happening. So you're you're getting all of her movies, and, and Nick and I have talked about this. Like, I think you know, around twelve, we kind of because because we just kept to ourselves. Right. When around twelve, we looked around, and we were like, oh, there's no one, no other twelve year old boy who <clears throat> is obsessed with listening to the Beaches soundtrack. Right. You know? I was. (laughs) Yeah. But but we thought it was just so normal. We were just like, well, we found someone fabulous. Right, right. And why, who wouldn't be obsessed with her? And then we were like, and then we slowly started queuing into, you know, we're a little bit different, aren't we? Yeah. Did you have that with Madeline? Do you have that that memory where you were like. Yeah. I remember I broke a very, um, a very 
sort of precious family heirloom. It was like a glass ashtray um, by myself enacting the scene where she smashes the glass against the um, fireplace. And I had broken this family ashtray that had like my great grandfather's name on it. I was like, please! (laughs) Smashing it against a thing. And I broke it and I had to explain how and make up like this big sort of elaborate lie. It wasn't like I was pretending to be Madeline Kahn and I was smashed it. I had to be like, I dropped it. I don't know how it happened. I don't know why I was holding this ashtray. But then I sort of realized something was up. Um, (laughs) I've gone very far. Right, right, yeah. Um, I guess when I was that young, Clue was the one that I really just kept watching and watching. I guess I, I like the other stuff, the other movies I kind of tuned into when I was a little bit older. Right. And the musicals and stuff probably in high school. And have you, did you as a kid or have you now ever met or communed with other Madeline Kahn super fans? I keep it kind of to myself, but I'm always so happy when someone is really into her. Um, if it comes up in conversation and someone can talk about more than just Clue. Right. Or more than just Mixed Nuts or something. Um, like, if they can get down to, like, Sherlock Holmes' smarter brother or whatever that movie that she did with Gene Wilder, then I'm like, oh, you're real. you're a real fan. You know Yellowbeard? Okay, cool. Um, so I, I, I don't – I'm not, like, part of an online community or anything. I um, – but anytime I meet someone who had had interaction with her, I, I try to get a story or two from them. Um, is there an online community? I'm sure, yeah, there's of course there is. There's like probably a bunch of them. Um, do you ever like dip into that? Do you ever like do a little Google or hop no. onto those? No, I watch all the videos. Like every now and then, I just like see if someone's posted a new interview that I'd never seen. Or um, uh, I did read the biography by uh, William V. Madison that just came out, and it really illuminating, really interesting. I learned a lot more than I ever knew. She was a little bit sadder than I had imagined, a really hard on herself. Um, all things that make sense to me and make sense to why I am so into her. Like I, I A lot of times when I'm watching interviews of her now or reading about her, um, it makes sense to me why I sort of glommed onto her and why I continue. I I mean, I give up on things very quickly. Like, I'm like, I love this, and then I don't love it anymore after a while. Um, So, like, she she has been the one true constant that I haven't gotten sick of. One of the one true things that I loved. (laughs) What if I started crying on your podcast? That's okay. Um, But, you know, one of the things that has just always been there He's literally, literally, I've been on two podcasts. I have cried on both of them. Um, (laughs) What were you talking about on the other one? Myself. Myself. Um, Anyway, no, she's been like the only constant. When she died, okay, so let's talk about this for a second. We have to talk about a bunch of things. I don't know how long you think this is going to be, but it's going to be longer than you think. Um, And we haven't even gotten to Paper Moon. No, because Paper Moon is incredibly important. We're going to bounce around. There's no timeline here. We're going to go around. But when she died, this will just give you an idea of like uh, like the concept. I was in college. I was – I remember I was doing a production of Tis Pity. She's a whore. I was cast as a very misguided cardinal. Um, I was not having the time of my life because I don't love classic theater. I'm sorry, Nick. Um, And I wasn't great in it. So, okay, so like a Saturday before tech, I go and see Boys Don't Cry. It's 1999. So it's a tough day. And then I get home to my dorm, and my aunt calls me, and she's like, did you hear your friend died? Oh, no. And I go, what? And she goes, <laughs> your friend died. And I was like, 
what friend? And she said, Madeline Kahn. And it was like, that was the worst possible friend that could have died. (laughs) So that night, I just watched all of her movies that I had um, access to. It was before, like, you could rent stuff. And um, it was, I remember that night. I don't remember a ton of college. I remember that specific night. I remember the next day going into tech. Um, I remember a friend of mine Andy Phelan, who I did a play with uh, a bunch of years ago called Milk Milk Lemonade. He's the only person who wrote me an email and was like, I wanted to check in on you and see how you're doing because we knew each other in high school. Um, It's beautiful. I love it. It was so he'll always be one of my most wonderful friends. Uh, We've been through uh, a lot. We've been through Madeline's death together. (laughs) (laughs) He emailed me on my AOL address, which was Albie331. Um, (laughs) As in Edward Albie? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, Aldi, I'm sorry. Um, I'm eating a grape. Hold on, let me take it out of my mouth. Um, keep in, keep in. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I I remember that night, and it was very painful, but also um, very exciting to know that I. She was part of my life for so many. That was '99, I guess '80. Six is when I saw Clue, probably. So mm-hmm. at that point, she'd already been part of my life for 13 years. Is that math? Yeah. <laughs> had you had you known she was sick? Yeah, I remember reading an article about it. Um, and one thing, the one thing I, like, kick myself about is I grew up on Long Island. Like, I grew up near New York City. There were opportunities for me to see her live, especially the Sisters Rosenzweig um, and like the concert of Anyone Can Whistle, which I would have died to see her and Burnett Peters. Um, the album is amazing. Um, there, you know, even in like a cabaret show, I think she did or something, there were chances for me to see her live. I don't know why it didn't happen. It wasn't like I wasn't seeing theater when I was a kid. Um, and part of me wonders if it was because it was too scary to like see my idol or meet my idol. But now every time I go to Lincoln center to see a play at Lincoln center, I go to that wall where there's that painting or drawing of, or no picture of her. Um, her from Fran McDormand and Jane Alexander. Yeah. And I touch yeah. it or I take a picture oh. with it. Oh, have yeah. you gone and watched sisters Rosen's why get the performance? No, Arts but Library? I just thought today, cause I was watching an interview with her on Bob Costas. Um, and they showed a clip of it and I was like, Oh, I should just go and watch that. Yeah. At, at Lincoln Center. I, I should go and watch that. And I probably will very soon. Ugh. It's, I wish, you know, I, I know in my heart, and this might sound super crazy, but I know that if she were alive now, we would know each other and we would have worked together uh, or in some capacity. Because do you I just. about that? Uh, yeah, been- of course I do. I mean,. Because I remember when – let's have a moment where we just shout out another diva that I am in love with um, and was a fan of before I became friends with. Uh, Mary Testa, I remember seeing, oh, listening uh, to her on albums and then going to see her in Marie Christine and um, at Lincoln Center and going up to her after the show. I think I was on break from college and I was a very nervous person. And I was like, you're the kind of woman that makes me wish I was straight. I don't know what that means and like what, what I was saying. And Mary but was I like, just, thanks, kid. She's like, all right, okay. <laughs> um, great. Fantastic. Um, but she, 
and then she and I had, you know, ended up doing a show together and became um, became good friends. And and I'm still a giant wild fan of hers, but she's in my life, and I feel like. I could have manifested that with Madeline Kahn. Does that sound crazy? No. no. I feel like I would have written no, something because for you're her also to a, do. You're a, you're a great performer and you're a great writer and you're so funny. You guys would have crossed paths just like with Mary. Right. Oh, Mary Testa. Write us about your Mary Testa fantasies. Oh, oh yeah. Um, so she, she was, your, was she your first funny lady that you... Yeah, 100%. 100%. 100%. And through her, I found other people. Like... Terry Gar and uh, Gilda Radner through her because I there was a VHS copy of which I still have and if anybody wants to buy it from me from me for thousands and thousands of dollars <laughs> maybe I'll part with it because I don't have a VCR anymore. Just kidding. Um, but she was uh, there. There was a VHS at Chicken Video of her first appearance in Saturday Night Live, and the best part of it, the very best sketch. It's not even a sketch. Her and Gilda Radner sit on the stage and do impressions um, for the first time. They're like, we want to, Gilda and I both do impressions. Um, and so Madeline does a baby eating ice cream for the first time. It's perfect. Uh, you have to <laughs> look it up and watch it. And um, Gilda Radner um, does a parakeet learning how to say hello, Madeline. It's these two incredibly funny ladies just being themselves and, and making each other laugh and um, it's really lovely. I think actually I, the first episode of Saturday Night Live I ever saw was that episode. And you had rented it on a VHS. I had rented it on a VHS. We do have a, we do have a clip of them, of her and Gilda Radner doing that. Oh, a, Barbara a, Walters and Moeena Dietrich? Yes, yes. So this is, this is Gilda Radner and Madeline Kahn, uh, Gilda doing Barbara Walters interviewing Marlena Dietrich. <laughs> Welcome to Not For Ladies Only. I'm Barbara Wallach. I'm Barbara Wallach. I'm Barbara Wallach. And tonight we'll be talking to an actual living legend, the incredible Marlena Deutschwen. Thank you. It is great to be here. Marlena, what is it like to be a living legend? It has been a really rich experience. Tell us your secret of perpetual youth. Uh, I get massaged regularly, <laughs> and I have had everything lifted. You mean you've had your legs lifted? Everything. Even uh, my wheel. What? My wheel. Your wheel? What? <laughs> I'm Barbara Walla. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Do you think about her, like, how much, how much you, you know, like... Well, I have a big painting of her in my apartment. Oh, so you think about her every I think I, she's... Where'd you get uh, that? And the picture of that painting is on um, my iPhone case. So I think about her every day. Um, the <laughs> I painting, see her every did day. Did I get it? Um, uh, this um, woman, um, my husband commissioned it to, uh, from this woman who um, works in advertising but does really amazing paintings of, like, law and order people. And she did these paintings of all of the Golden Girls and... Um, for one of our anniversaries, he secretly wrote her and asked her to make this Madeline Kahn and Clue painting, um, which is this. I'm showing it to them right now. I do have a desire to get several more from different movies, but it's been a long time, so I don't know if she'd still do it for me. But I do. I would love to cover a wall and you should the Madeline Kahn. Do you think that gay people or or queer people have a a special connection to Madeline Kahn, and like why why is that? Yeah, I think because. There's a lot of reasons. Her 
vocal quality, first of all, is like a musical instrument. You know, it just is like music to our ears, our specific mm. ears, I think. Mm-hmm. Um she has this amazing quality of being uh, incredibly hilarious and also very glamorous at the same time. She uh, is campy without being like wildly false. Um, there's always truth in everything she does, but there's just that right amount of, of camp. She's incredibly quotable no matter what the line is because of her cadence and because of her line readings. I think she's incredibly quotable, which I think is probably a big part of it. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, she did it all. She did musicals. She has that very surprising operatic voice. Um, she just was the best. So, yes, Aww. I do agree that queer people and gay people are, 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 are drawn to her. She has so much technique, too. She trained as an opera singer, right? Yes. It's, her technique is incredible. And that's you can hear it so much on I'm, I'm Not Getting Married. It's so... Oh, Yeah. And do you know the tea about what happened with on the 20th century? Um, I did read it. I read it in this autobiography. I just think it might have been too. It was hard. I think it was really vocally very, very hard to do that many times a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that might have had something to do with it. I think anything is sort of hearsay. Um, I mean, there's a whole chapter in the book, but I read the book a while ago, so I don't remember exactly what happened. I worked with John Cullum a couple of years ago. Yeah? And I asked him about it, and he was so diplomatic and cagey about it. He uh-huh. said, I think Madeline just wanted to move on, but both she and Judy were really brilliant. And he was really very diplomatic about it and didn't want to say a crossword about either one of them. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's a story there. I don't even know that I need to know it. All I need to know is that she was on that cast album and it is perfect. And she won that fucking Tony. For that? Mm-hmm. No. Oh, really? She didn't? No. She won the Tony for Sisters Rosenzweig, right? Oh, I thought she got a Tony Award for On the 20th Century. And she won for In the Boom Boom Room, too. Did she win? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, she, I think she has three Tony Awards. I think maybe you I'm might wrong. be right. <laughs> You're not a fan. I'm so mad right now at you, Nick. I'm so mad at you. I, only I focus hate on... when people do that to me. When I'm like... <laughs> Oh, really, Nick? Someone recently oh, just did really? that with, like, I'm a Go pink. Go to her Wikipedia page right now and you tell me if she has those awards or if she just got nominated. I'm on, I'm on it right now. Hold I'm, on. I'm like a pink stan and someone recently just, like, proved me wrong. She won a People's Choice Award for, oh, Madeline, did you know that, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> no, she was only nominated for Okay, oh, you lost. Right. You lost. Oh, <laughs> We're am I right? We're fucking out. thing anyways. <laughs> she was just nominated. She only won for Sisters Rosen's Wag. Fine, you win. Oh, wait. I was right? Okay, cool. Um, I still win my Madeline Kahn fan. Speaking of awards, now this is a good transition here. The biggest award she was absolutely robbed of. I was just going to ask you this. This is my favorite question. Is Paper Moon. Here we go. She was nominated. Tatum O'Neill was nominated. Tatum O'Neill was nine. Tatum O'Neill won. That is a travesty. I mean, Tatum O'Neill is very good in that movie. Of course she is. But Madeline Kahn's monologue on the top of that hill is the most perfect, perfect screen time she had ever had. We're gonna let's just listen to the listen to it and then we'll talk about it. Just listen to that. You're gonna ruin it, ain't you? 
Look, I don't want to wipe you out. And I don't want you wiping me out, you know? So I'm going to level with you, okay? Now, you see, with me, it's just a matter of time. I don't know why, but somehow, I just don't manage to hold on real long. So if you wait it out a little, it'll be over, you know? I mean, even if I want a fella, somehow Arthur, I managed to get it screwed up. Maybe I'll get a new pair of shoes, a nice dress, a few laughs. Times are hard. Now, if you fool around on the hill up here, then you don't get nothing. I don't get nothing. He don't get nothing. So how about it, honey? Just for a little while. Let old Trixie sit up front with her big tits. <laughs> so perfect, right? Interesting oh. fact about that is that it didn't say tits in the script, and she didn't want to say it. And she had some, uh, they say that she had, uh, Peter Bogdanovich, I think, said she has a, had a very strict moral code. And she did not want to say tits. And he was like, she did something different on every take. And then finally he was like, just say it once. And in that take, you can see her say it. And then you can see her smile after, sort of like a uncomfortable little smile. And that's Madeline in the moment, sort of reacting to herself, saying that apparently at the premiere, she pulled out the script and showed someone. She's like, see, it doesn't say that in the script. They made me say that. <laughs> but it's also, it gives this layer to Trixie, though, where she, like, saying tits, like that smile after to me in character reads mm-hmm. as, I'm admitting that I'm a, a whore or I'm admitting yeah. that I'm that that's all I've got going for me. Right. You know, that I don't have a lot else going for me and I'll just admit that to you. And that's what Tatum O'Neill responds to is just that honesty. Yeah. And that whole, that I think is the, the when we first get to see the fact that she, the tragedy underneath the comedy, exactly. it's, it's really, that whole monologue is so funny, so nuanced, as we've said, and so truthful. It's just... Honestly, a woman talking to a kid, very honestly. And there's something so funny about it, but so moving. I think it is her most moving performance. And it's just where you see all of the skills at once. It's like, um, like you said, you, that, you get introduced to that character and you kind of think, oh, I'm going to hate, I'm supposed to side with the kid. I'm supposed to hate yeah, this Yeah, you're this like, person. I know who this is. I, I know who, who that is. character is. And then she turns it on you. Mm-hmm. And then she breaks your heart. Yeah. And then we, what we don't see after that scene is she breaks your heart. With that, you know, with that model, because you think she's going to go up the hill and, you know, tell that kid off. Yeah. But she gets, she just drops it all. Mm-hmm. And in that performance, she just becomes so honest. And then what we don't see is after that beautiful monologue, she turns around and falls. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then switches it up again. She's like, I have to, what did she say? I have to diddle or something? Winky tank. I have to winky tank. I grew up watching this movie, and whenever we, we would have it. to go to the bathroom in the car on like a car ride, my dad would say, oh, your sister has to winky tank. Because we love Paper Moon in our house, and we yeah. watched it all the time. So good. I, I, I didn't want, like, I knew... And then in the next couple of scenes, the kid's trying to get her to go. And I was like, no, I want more. I know. I always want more of her in every movie. But that's perfect, right? Like, that's why she was such a star. Why she sort of, um, I think, because people wanted more. Did you see the Cosby show? Cut. I, uh, yes, of course. I watched the Cosby Show when she was on it all the time, and she was she great. Was, she was she amazing. She was like the best friend or something, the neighbor or something, right? Yeah, and I do know someone told me they were at, went to a taping of it. Like that's another thing. I could have gone to a taping of it when I was a kid, it, or not even a kid. That was when ninety eight, ninety nine. I was right out of college. No, I was right years. out of high school. I was in college. But um, did you ever see Judy Berlin? 
No, I've been wanting to ask you about okay. this. I can't find it anywhere. I almost spent like $70 on Amazon to buy I think, it. <laughs> I think I have the DVD somewhere. I definitely have the VHS. Um, it was so good. And so um, I think it was a real glimpse as far as what we were going to see from her and where she was going to go with her career. It was this beautiful Indian. It was this sort of wonderful, gentle character that was had all the humor that she always had, but a lot of gravity. And um, it was, I think, the kind of work that she would be doing now if, if, if she was still around. It's her last movie. Yeah. Her last movie. And I think, is it Edie Falco's first feature? Probably. I think so. Edie Falco's so good in it, too. And Ann Mira's in it. It's a really good, oh. good movie. Um, I'll see if I have it and you can borrow it. I want to borrow that DVD from you if you have yeah. it. Because I want to watch that movie. I just watched it. Like, there's a little, there's like a trailer for it online that I watched. And I was like, oh, fuck, this looks Yeah, good. it's oh. real weird and lovely. And it takes place on Long Island. And that's where I'm from. I loved it. Oh, that's a good Valentine. Yeah. You know, like a good send off. But I yeah. do that thing, too, where like I... I start putting Bette Midler in movies that will get her that Oscar. Oh, yeah. You know, where you're like, she could play this. Kind of oh, like Madeline, yeah. Like oh, Madeline. Madeline Kahn would have been heavily recurring, if not a series regular, on Six Feet Under, for sure. Okay. Right? Okay. Don't oh, we think? Oh, yes. Yeah. What else would Don't she have done? Think? Yeah, this is um, fun. I think she... I think she would have... Her taste level would have become incredibly clear as she got older. I think she would have done really beautiful, challenging indie films. I think she would have done a ton of theater. Um, I, But who knows? Maybe she could have ended up being, you know, retiring and being a recluse. I have no idea. But she probably would have done a Carnegie Hall concert. Mm-hmm. Um, she says that she said that she liked a fair amount of time. She likes the in-between time of jobs and she likes alone time and things like that. That was important to her. She was a pretty private person, right? Yeah, she was a private person. She married um, a man who I met. I met him Whoa. very, very briefly at a reading um, that they did of uh, parts of the autobiography. And he sat behind me and I just told him that I have a painting of her and that she was very important to me. Um, but I didn't want to bother him. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to bother him, but I went on for 25 minutes. I did all of her lines from every movie she ever did. Um, <laughs> and I was like, do you think she would have liked me? I'm convinced we would have been friends and worked together. And um, No, I didn't. I just, just very briefly said something to him. But, um, uh, yeah, she found love late in life. He took care of her when she was sick. And they married, I think, very soon before she passed. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I, I don't know what she would be doing now, but I'm so glad she did what she did when she was around. She is, like I said, she's like a patron saint to me. So, like, I will, if I'm feeling sort of stagnant or not sure why I do what I do or need to be inspired or just laugh or just forget about some sort of shitty stuff here and there, I'll watch some clips of hers. Just, like, go to YouTube and go in a hole and watch a bunch of clips or interviews. And um, so she's, like, literally always part of my life. And and sometimes more than others, but she's always there when I need her in a way that's really, um, really comforting. If you had a five minute phone call with Madeline uh, today, mm-hmm. what would you say to her? Oh, oh boy. Hi, uh, <laughs> um, this is Michael. You might not know me, but I just want to thank you for being my constant sort of obsession and always making me happy, always making me smile. 
always inspiring me um, and really reminding me that you can be funny and sad at the same time. It's really important to know that. And you taught me that. So thank you. I love you so much. Bye. <laughs> that was so beautiful. Did I cry twice on this <laughs> See, we make you laugh and we make you cry. Yeah. They make you cry laugh, which is unfortunately what I just. <laughs> Michael, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, guys. This, this is was so, so fun. fun. It was beautiful. Oh, this is our first comedy girl. I love it. I love that Madeline Kahn's our first one. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. This is He's... where my heart is, too. So I'm Great. so happy. Uh, thanks for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, and download. Hit the download button on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you're listening to this. Or Google Play. Wasn't this such a great episode? Why don't you take two hours to write a couple paragraphs <laughs> about how much you were inspired by us and everything you've listened to? That would be that would actually be pretty awesome. That would Don't you like to do and that? And then yeah. figure out how to post it on iTunes because it's actually not yeah. as easy as it should be. <laughs> it isn't. It's hard. And we are asking you to put in a little work because we're putting in the work. And Madeline so. Kahn put in the work for you with her comedy. And Michael Cyril Creighton put in the work in his fandom on this episode. So was follow. so joyful? It was so beautiful. Follow Michael on, in, on Instagram and on Twitter. He's so funny on Twitter. He's so great. And watch all of his movies and stand out over him because he's just a genius. Is there a song of hers that you'd like to go out on? Oh, it's really a deep cut. But Give let's do the Golden Ram from uh, 2 by 2 with Danny Kay. She hits like a high C, I think. Okay, thank you, babies. We love you. Thank you. Thank you, our battle angels. Bye-bye. Thank you, battle angels. Bye. opportunity and the american dream starts with purpose whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's master's or doctoral degree gcu's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration with over 330 academic programs gcu provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams the pursuit to serve others is yours find your purpose at gcu private christian affordable visit gcu.edu